It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Sophie and Chris are off tonight. BC's emergency health care first responders have released some sobering numbers that indicate the toxic drug crisis is showing no signs of slowing. As Travis Prasad reports, a little more than three months in, 2023 is already on pace to be a record-breaking year. This is what the, the naloxone looks like. It's a uh, one milliliter in a small ampule. Paramedics explaining what naloxone is and how it's administered. And we're going to press the plunger until the needle re retracts. One shot of naloxone quickly reverses the effects of opioids and can stop an overdose from turning deadly. Anyone can go to the drugstore and grab one of the kits, but to actually do it before you're nervous um, and actually trying to help somebody is never a bad idea. Friday marks seven years since the province declared toxic drug overdoses a public health emergency. Since then, paramedics have responded to almost 200,000 people in danger. We went from around 14,000 overdose calls in 2016 to over 33,000 last year. In 2022, BCEHS saw upwards of 2,800 calls per month. So far this year, that number has risen to more than 3,200. And on March 22nd, paramedics attended 205 overdose calls, a new single-day record. BCEHS says that was also an income assistance day. What this clearly shows us is this crisis is still very much here, and we need to continue to look at ways and on how we can reduce the number of overdose events that are happening. The highest number of overdose calls continues to be in the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, despite it serving a smaller population than Fraser Health. However, the statistics show overdoses are a province-wide problem. This is a crisis impacting people from all walks of life. In January, the B.C. government decriminalized possession of small amounts of illicit drugs. Harm reduction advocates say the three-year pilot is a good start, but want to see better access to safe supply. We continue to see toxic drug supply and we will continue to support any policy initiatives that are aimed at helping to improve safe supply in our province. Meanwhile, first responders are asking the public to be equipped and know the signs. They may have shallow or absent breathing. They're not breathing at all. To help save lives as the crisis continues. Travis Prasad, Global News. The fatal stabbing of 17-year-old Ethan B. Flug Tuesday night and a string of other high-profile violent crimes on public transit are putting an increased focus on safety on board SkyTrain and the bus system. TransLink is already in the process of adding a third level of safety, hiring community safety officers to complement transit security and police. But as Janet Brown reports, critics say far more needs to be done to keep commuters and communities safe. TransLink says it is working to make the transit system safer by hiring 24 community safety officers, 12 now and another 12 by the new year. They'll carry batons and handcuffs but no guns and will earn between roughly $32 and $34.50 an hour. We have a total of 24 community safety officers that will be uh, joining the force. 
Um, and that's uh, really helpful because that's going to introduce a bit of a tiered policing model. So those community safety officers are trained in things like de-escalation, um, how to de-escalate mental health incidents. Transportation Minister Rob Fleming asked if more transit police officers are needed on the transit system. In light of the fatal stabbing on board a Coast Mountain bus this week in Surrey. Minister Farnworth has coordinated uh, with the Chief of Police for TransLink as well as other municipal police forces in the RCMP about stepping up uh, enforcement throughout the TransLink transit system. Both transit police and the union representing Coast Mountain bus drivers are calling for additional transit police officers. Right now, there are 184. Our chief is in talks with right now with TransLink and the government to try and increase that budget so that we can get more officers out there and hire more people and help people be safe. Meanwhile, TransLink Mayor's Council Chair and Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West says the fatal stabbing speaks volumes where we are as a society. What more is it going to take for the people responsible for our justice system from MPs to judges to everyone else involved to wake the hell up and do something about it. Janet Brown, Global News. And Vancouver police are investigating another serious attack on board a transit bus. It happened at about 8.30 this morning on a TransLink rapid bus in the downtown east side. Police say the victim and suspect were passengers. The motive for the attack isn't known. The victim was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Officers are still searching for the suspect. Three Hells Angels clubhouses were seized across the province today, nearly two months after B.C.'s top court ruled in favour of the Mounties, Mounties, saying that it was likely the properties would be used to plan future crimes. Well, one of those clubhouses is in East Vancouver, and that is where we find Jasmine Bala tonight. Jasmine, what can you tell us about today's events? Colleen, this clubhouse was owned by the Hells Angels, but now it is the official property of the province. It's quiet here now. Police have already been in and out as BC Civil Fortune uh, Office moved in to um, claim the, the, the space and seize the property. And the same thing happened at the other two properties, um, clubhouses in other parts of the province, including Kelowna and Nanaimo. The province's anti-gang combined forces special enforcement unit, or CFSEU, says it was on site at all three clubhouse locations, along with local police, to keep the peace while the operation was carried out. In Kelowna, officers arrived shortly after 11 a.m. and replaced the locks and inspected the property. The same happened at the other clubhouses. The move comes two months after B.C.'s top court ruled the province could seize the clubhouses because members would likely keep using the properties to plan or carry out criminal activity. That ended a years-long legal fight that began in 2007 when the motorcycle gang's Nanaimo clubhouse was raided by police. The attempted seizures made their way through the courts and in 2020, B.C. Supreme Court ruled in favour of the Hells Angels, saying there was a lack of evidence the clubhouses were used for illegal activity. But that decision was overturned this February and that is what led to today's seizures. Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says the three clubhouses are now the official property of the province. 
Uh, this sends a very uh, strong message to those engaged in uh, organized crime that the uh, the province will be coming after uh, assets that are obtained by the proceeds of crime and are used by criminal organizations. Uh, we've recently introduced legislation for unexplained wealth orders, which is an additional tool which is going to aid us in the uh, in the fight against uh, organized crime and those who seek to profit from it. As for what happens next, Farnworth says the Civil Forfeiture's Office will do an assessment on the three properties to determine their value and then decide what to do with them from there. Colleen. Thanks so much, Jasmine. Premier Eby is expected to make a joint announcement with the federal government tomorrow with five Treaty 8 First Nations who will see both land and cash settlements. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, this is expected to be one of the largest settlements in Canadian history. Yeah, this is pretty big stuff. So this dates back all the way to 1899 when a number of First Nations in the Peace River area of B.C. and in Alberta as well signed uh, treaties with the governments of the day. Most First Nations in B.C. were not covered by treaties, but this was the exception. But it became apparent over time that the maps that were used to determine the territory of First Nations were based on some flawed information from the governments of the day. So there's been negotiations going back decades to resolve this, and we're going to see the details tomorrow. Here's sort of a broad breakdown what to expect. The federal government is responsible for the financial aspect of this. I'm told it's going to be a substantial financial payment. Uh, 115,000 acres of crown land, crown land is coming from the B.C. government. That's about the equivalent of about four uh, cities the size of Vancouver. The Treaty 8 First Nations involved here are the Blueberry River, Doig River, Halfway River, West Moberly, and the Salto. Uh, not all First, uh, Treaty 8 First Nations are involved here, but five of them are, and the chiefs are going to be there at the news conference as well. Again, this goes back all the way back to 18 Anyone interested in BC history and justice for Indigenous people should tune into our coverage. I think we'll likely be covering it live on BC One starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow. All righty. Thanks so much, Keith. Right. A disturbing incident at a West Side coffee shop in Vancouver, and it was all caught on camera. A woman allegedly pours coffee on a group of people, then spits on them. The search for the suspect and why it's being investigated as a hate crime in just over a minute. Still to come on the news hour, what fossilized plants found in Burnaby are telling us 40 million years later. And the growing business that will never run out of customers, the green burials movement. Those stories coming up on the news hour. Vancouver police are asking for the public's help to identify a woman caught on camera dumping coffee, then spitting at a group of men. The victims had been sitting in a coffee shop playing cards when she approached, apparently mad that they were speaking a foreign language. As Paul Johnson reports, the incident is being investigated as a hate crime. Watch carefully here as a woman appears to approach two men in a coffee shop and then allegedly spits in the face of one of them. Take another look. Do you recognize this woman? Vancouver police are hoping you do. So far, we've been unable to identify the suspect through non-intrusive means, so now we're turning to the public for their help. Vancouver police say the incident happened in this coffee shop February 26th. The spitting, plus what happened just before that, is why police are investigating this as a hate crime. They say it started when the suspect approached a group of men playing cards at a table. So when she approached this group, they engaged in some friendly conversation. Uh, she asked the group uh, what language they were speaking. When they responded with, they spoke Arabic. Um, she made a racial comment. She poured her coffee on the table and she left. Police say the victim is a 38-year-old Vancouver man. Well, they say reports of hate crimes are actually down recently. 
A humiliating and degrading act like this has no place in the city. And if someone can identify the suspect, this is a case they intend to close. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. The provincial government says changes are coming to the Strata Act to make sure young families can stay in their homes. A loophole in legislation passed last year has motivated a number of Stratas to implement a 55-plus only rule, leaving homeowners under the age restriction questioning what the future holds. Richard Zussman has more. It's been a giant stressor for Zan Talibian in the form of BC's new Strata rules. And to be in a situation where I'm thinking... I have to think about having a child or lifetime security of debt. Talibian found out in January she was pregnant and has been raising concerns over the province's new strata rules ever since. Strata buildings no longer allowed to restrict rentals, but they are allowed to move to 55 plus and then restrict rentals to include only those in the age demographic. And that is exactly what Talibian's building did. You know, they, they do think they're gods. They think they have a lot of power, actually. And they, they take that to their advantage. This would have meant Talibian's baby would legally not have been able to live in the suite. But relief is now on the way. Thanks to Talibian and others telling their story. For a young family not to be able to have a child because they're worried about their place is absolutely heartbreaking. We know that changes need to happen and changes are coming. Premier David Eby recently called her to inform Talibian the rules would be changing. But what is still unclear is exactly what the rules will look like. We're a few weeks away. Right now, legal teams are going through to make sure that any changes that are put in place can protect young families. The province acknowledging it's unfortunate it has gotten to this point, considering in the government's mind, stratas have been short-sighted moving to 55+. plus. But it comes with ramifications. Uh, many of the condo owners associations have been advising stratas that any moves to go to 55+, plus can reduce the potential value of, of those units. Talibian is looking forward to see the new rules, but most importantly, looking forward to welcoming a baby in September in the dream home they now won't have to leave. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. It was a brutal death by beating. Now the coroner's inquest into Miles Gray's death at the hands of police begins Monday with seven VPD officers' jobs hanging in the balance. And fear for Canadians with family in Iran as hundreds, maybe thousands of young girls there are falling at school, the victims of poisoning. Crews are still on scene to a major crash here in Tawasin, southbound on Highway 17 at 56th Street. Traffic is down to just a single lane and backed up for about a half a kilometer. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are a part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. I have a crash in Tawasin. A public inquest is set to get underway Monday, looking into the death of a man at the hands of police in Burnaby almost eight years ago. There are many questions as to what happened that day, and as Imad Agahi reports, Miles Gray's family is hoping for some answers. A decade has turned over, and it has been nearly eight years since Miles Gray, a Sunshine Coast business owner, would make his last work trip to the Lower Mainland. A trip that ended with a violent confrontation with police and the 33-year-old's death. 
On Monday begins a 10-day coroner's inquest, a process that cannot legally hold someone responsible, but in which detailed explanations of Miles Gray's death will be explored. It's going to be absolutely horrific. I'm going to, if I do go, all I would do is hear, I don't know how many accounts over and over again of Miles's murder and what has been done to him. In the afternoon of August 13th, 2015, Vancouver police are called to a disturbance in the city's southeast corner near the Burnaby border. A man was reported to be acting out and had sprayed a woman with a garden hose. Officers identified Miles Gray nearby and over the course of a 13-minute interaction with numerous police officers attempting to physically restrain and arrest him, the 33-year-old is injured to the point of unconsciousness and later pronounced dead on scene. Days later, two investigative bodies begin their probe into police actions. And on January 16, 2019, more than three years after Gray's death, the Independent Investigations Office concludes its report and six weeks later submits its findings to Crown prosecutors for criminal assessment. Next on December 16th, 2020, now more than five years since Gray's death, the BC Prosecution Service decides it will not approve any criminal charges, citing inconsistent evidence from the responding officers. The Gray family's heartbroken. He was pepper sprayed, chained up and handcuffed, so he was incapacitated and that they beat him to death. For that to happen and nobody to be accountable to that, that is a travesty of justice. On January 29th, 2021, another investigation, this time into potential professional conduct violations against the responding officers. The OPCC concluding that report earlier this year, recommending a disciplinary hearing with the seven involved officers now facing the potential of dismissal from the VPD. I do believe these people should be dismissed from their jobs. Absolutely, I sure do. Bo Spencer is one of those constables, including a list which includes Hardeep Sahota, Josh Wong, Corey Folkstad, Nick Thompson, Derek Kane and Eric Bursnick. There should have been charges against these officers. Miles was there with no witnesses other than the cops. That, that shouldn't, should never be a thing. That should never happen again. Miles can't speak. The cops can do whatever they want. The coroner told us Miles' body speaks for him. Like his injuries are what will speak for him. An autopsy revealed Gray suffered a ruptured testicle, a fractured voice box, a broken nose, sternum, and eye socket, and a dislocated jaw. The extent of Gray's numerous injuries made it so that no absolute cause of death was ever confirmed. The 33-year-old was unarmed and in the middle of a mental health crisis during his struggle with police. What they did to Miles is insane. The list of those compelled to testify next week includes witnesses never heard from before, paramedics, firefighters, and the people who first called police on the day that Miles Gray died. Emaragahi, Global News. Chilling details were revealed today in a B.C. courtroom at the sentencing of a man who killed a Nanaimo teenager in 2017. Jordan Armstrong reports on the revelations during the hearing into Stephen Michael Bacon, who pleaded guilty to the murder of 16-year-old Michaela Chang. And a warning, some of the details in this story are disturbing. Michaela Chang's father has waited six years for justice. We got what we wanted, 20 and 20. His daughter's killer, Stephen Bacon, sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 20 years for the second-degree murder of 16-year-old Michaela. We're just glad to get through this and finally 
find some sense of closure. You know, it's never going to be over for us. B.C. Supreme Court Justice Robin Baird accepting a joint sentencing submission from Crown and defense, calling it an appalling, cowardly, and vicious crime. Court heard a then 53-year-old Bacon pushed Chang in his home, where she fell and struck her head. He then strangled her. DNA revealed Bacon had sexual intercourse with the teen the day she was killed. We just want justice. She deserves it. Chang met Bacon in the summer of 2016 at a local Tim Hortons. Court heard the two developed a father-daughter type relationship, with Bacon even considering adopting her. On St. Patrick's Day 2017, they argued, with Chang no longer wanting him to adopt her. After killing her, Bacon had a taxi driver help him dispose of her body. The pair took Chang in a cab to a rural area where Bacon buried her in a shallow grave. More than two years later, Bacon confessed to police in New Brunswick after his arrest. He was charged with first-degree murder in 2020, but ended up pleading guilty to second-degree murder. He did something that's unspeakable to a very young girl who deserved to live a very long and healthy life. And the fact that she's not here is, it's heartbreaking. She would have been 22 on March 1st. That's really hard because she was only 16. Before Bacon left town six days after Chang's murder, court heard he reported her missing to Nanaimo RCMP and even pretended to be the teen, sending texts from her phone and posing on a chat group. It's pretty hard. It makes my skin grow to look at him. It really does. But, um, you know, um, he took ownership, which was amazing. Chang's father addressed Bacon, calling him a monster, a pedophile, and a cold-hearted bastard. Bacon told the court he has destroyed so much, and there's nothing he can do to make it better. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The deal to move reconciliation further ahead. It's about ensuring decisions that impact the health of First Nations, the renewal of a 10-year-old deal that created the First Nations Health Authority in B.C. And collecting shocking evidence, hundreds or more female students in Iran are being poisoned. Flow is out and traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel. Do keep in mind, though, nightly lane closures for maintenance. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Out of Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Families in Metro Vancouver are watching with growing horror as violence against women and girls continues in Iran. Canadian Iranians are playing a key role tracking a wave of poisonings against schoolgirls and raising awareness among family members back in Iran. Negar Moshtehedi has the details, but first a warning. Some of the images in this story are disturbing. Iranian schoolgirls targeted. A re-emergence of poisonings with kids back at school after the Persian New Year holiday hiatus. Whatever the substance is, thousands of young girls are falling ill while in class. It's left them coughing, choking, unable to breathe. Many have been hospitalized. The Foundation for Defense of Democracies mapping out how widespread the attacks are. We found more than 300 attacks that we can confirm. The data? 
likely underreported. The number, I think, is uh, probably much more, at least two, three, four times that. Canadian Iranians with family back in Iran are terrified by what they're seeing. Tara is part of a group called the Iranian Justice Collective, gathering evidence from their sources in Iran to push world bodies to investigate these alleged chemical attacks. The schools should be the most safe place for your kid. But now, not only they are being deprived from their fundamental rights, which is education, but also they are putting their kids' safety in risk as well. Human rights lawyers across the globe demanding Iran allow in independent investigators. The Islamic Republic calls the schoolgirls' poisonings a heinous act and is not taking responsibility. But human rights activists are doubtful. Iran, they point out, is a totalitarian security state where authorities track and arrest protesters through facial recognition. And that this is yet another form of gender-based attacks, ongoing since the first reported case in November. I think this is the punishment for them that the Supreme Leader was talking about. He's trying to tell the Iranian people that it's ready to do unthinkable things in response to what the people want. Negar Moshehadi, Global News. The Prime Minister met with a group of Vancouver-area Indigenous leaders today to discuss the federal government's 10-year, $2 billion commitment for Indigenous health priorities. That funding agreement was first announced in February at the same time as the federal health care funding deal with the provinces. In an earlier ceremony in the Squamish Nation Longhouse, discussions and negotiations focused on how to best put that money to work. The agreement is being hailed as a huge and important step in reconciliation. I can't think of anything that is more historic in this journey of reconciliation than to have the Prime Minister come into our community and come be with us the way our old people would and the way our ancestors would for thousands of years. It's about self-determination. It's about ensuring decisions that impact the health of First Nations will be made by First Nations. A major part of today's announcement, the renewal of the deal first signed 10 years ago that created the First Nations Health Authority in B.C. The world's most resilient industry is getting a bit of a makeover. How the trend towards so-called green burials is taking off in a big way. And all the ads you'll never see here, including this one. Squire has satellite debris coming up. The Future of Work series. Tune into Global News April 10th to 23rd for daily features focused on training for the workforce of the future. In partnership with Vancouver Island University. Learn more at viu.ca. So I thought, I want to do something that actually honors our Earth rather than creates more emissions. The trend towards green burials. We're going to explain right after the forecast. But first, 
SFU researchers have discovered clues about plants that existed on Burnaby Mountain 40 million years ago. Paleobotanist and now SFU professor Rolf Matthews collected plant fossils with his professor when construction was done at the university in the 1960s. The team studying the fossils has found fragments of palm leaf, hydrangea, alders, ferns and many other plants, including the flower of an extinct plant. Matthews says this tells us the climate used to be warm enough for subtropical plants to grow and that they wouldn't be able to survive in today's climate. All right, ash from a volcano erupting in Russia has delayed flights into and out of Kelowna International Airport. The ash cloud was approximately between 25,000 and 35,000 feet, so it was a little too high for the aircraft to fly over and, and a little too low for them to fly under because of the mountainous terrain and uh, aircraft uh, aren't able to fly through that ash. The airport dealt with three cancellations this morning along with a number of delays, but conditions are beginning to improve and YLW expects things to return to normal this evening or tomorrow morning. All right, Christy joins us now with a look at our forecast and um, oh, it was lovely today. We I hope everybody got out and enjoyed it. Yeah, because it's about to change, that's for sure, Colleen. I thought I would just follow up a little bit about what the volcano in uh, in Russia. It's along this finger that right here that the volcano occurred. And uh, the actual plume of the volcano, when it erupted, uh, reached about 10 to 20 kilometers into the air, high enough that it sort of reached that jet stream. And it's that jet stream that allows to pull that uh, ash all the way over to North America. It impacted Alaska. Uh, reports of some impacts on flights in Prince George down to Seattle as well. Apparently, the ash in the air is very um, sharp. Uh, they're very fine uh, particles, but they're still very sharp, and it's that that can uh, cause some problems on the jet engine. Uh, so very interesting indeed. And what else is interesting? We got some great video in. Thank you to Kevin for sharing this with us. Uh, the potential for a dust devil. Uh, Environment Canada meteorologists are analyzing this because there is a chance that this has connected to the cumulus cloud that's above it, which in that case, it is actually a tornado. There was a enough heat and instability in the atmosphere uh, today to sort of create this dust devil or potential tornado. Uh, thank you to Kevin for sharing that with us. It occurred uh, in the uh, Coldstream area um, just after uh, about 1.45 this afternoon. So uh, interesting indeed. Thanks so much for sharing that. All right, things are going to settle down, but we're back to wet weather. Majority of that heavy rain along the coast is going to be on and off throughout the weekend. Heavy at times, particularly late Saturday into Sunday with windy conditions. Those of you in the interior will also be unsettled, especially into Sunday with a risk of thunderstorms. So there's your forecast for your Saturday, everyone. Plan some indoor activities. Nice day in through the southern interior for one more day, but you'll certainly be impacted on Sunday. Highs of only 9 degrees for Victoria and for our region, highs ranging from 11 to 12 degrees. A wet Saturday and Sunday. Typically for this time of year, we'd be up to 14. So we're well below that and we're not expecting much of a warm up in the days to come. So let's enjoy our central windows weather window instead. This is a gorgeous shot. Stefan uh, sharing this with us. I hope I said your name correctly, by the way, with this majestic uh, either plum or cherry blossom. Over to you, Colleen. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Christy. Mm -hmm. Death, our own or others, is something we all eventually have to deal with. And while there's an age-old industry dedicated to burials and cremations, there's growing interest in more environmentally friendly options. On this week's episode of The New Reality, Sophie Louis explores the green burial movement. 
There aren't many environmentally friendly options when it comes to saying goodbye to a loved one, but a few British Columbians are changing that. We met some of them during a rare spring snowstorm on the West Coast. Lorraine Fracy is one of the leaders of what's called the Green Burial Movement in Canada. She knew things needed to change when she heard what people were asking for. It was about that last act, wanting to make a difference and to contribute to, to the environment and to the earth. So in response, her cemetery, Royal Oak, opened a green burial area on their grounds in 2008. It was the first in Canada. It's 100% green, which means there's no embalming, no fancy caskets. Everything needs to be biodegradable. There are currently more than 400 people buried here, and demand is growing. For the first time in my 23-year career, I'm getting 30- and 40-year-olds that want to give me their credit card over the phone to secure a piece of land. When Vancouver resident Nancy Bradshaw lost her mother last June, she decided to bury her at the newly opened Salt Spring Island Natural Cemetery in British Columbia. So I thought, I want to do something that actually honours our Earth rather than creates more emissions. There's a good girl. There's a good girl. Kathy Valentine and her partner Gavin Johnston opened the cemetery on their private property. It's a working farm along with a beautiful forest of Douglas firs and they wanted to protect it. We've used the green burial designation, the cemetery designation, to protect and conserve the land. To me it's like it's even better than a cemetery because you're in a forest and you're feeding the forest. Other green options beyond burial are starting to emerge, including human composting, where you can convert a loved one's remains into soil. We explore more of how death care is changing on the new reality tomorrow at 7 p.m. on Global. Sophie Louie, Global News. Squire's here now, and Squire, I'm thinking I'd like to be my ashes compressed into a diamond. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but then you can't enjoy the diamond. I, I guess else somebody can. else Somebody else could. Right. I think just before you die, freeze yourself and then wait until they find a cure for what was going to kill you yeah. and then come back to life. Yeah. And live about 20, 30 more years. Not buying that one. <laughs> okay. Got? So being a doubles player means never really getting the spotlight a singles tennis player gets, but that's okay. Okay. Make that for Canada's Gabriella Dabrowski. Well, even if I have a positive impact for just a handful of people, that means a lot to me. She has been one of the better doubles players in the world during her career. And some Friday fun with Squire's satellite debris still ahead. Stay with us. All right, Squires here with sports. Are we still talking about the Canucks? Oh, sure. It's a 365-day-a-year topic <laughs> around here. Uh, well, the Canucks season is over, and the negatives certainly outweighed the positives, but we're used to that. Uh, they lost early in the season when many wanted them to win. They won late in the season when many wanted them to lose. They changed coaches. They traded their captain. They did have some brilliant individual seasons, although none of them moved the playoff needle at all. But one accomplishment that wasn't really talked about a lot was Andre Kuzmenko's shooting percentage. A 27.3% success rate. That was the best in one season this century. 
and 14th best all-time in NHL history. One thing about that, he didn't take a lot of shots, only 143, which was actually tied for 197th in the entire NHL. Now, it's likely his percentage will come down. It's hard to sustain 27.3, but if he shoots more next season, he may once again have a chance to score 39 goals as he did this year. Think of it this way. Kuzmenko had a 27.3% chance of scoring every time he shot this season. The Canucks have only a 3% chance of winning the draft lottery and getting Connor Bedard. Or if you like, I think my math is right, around 33 or 34 to 1. The Canucks finished off as the 11th worst team in the NHL. And it's very rare for a team that far back to win the draft lottery. And as we know, the Canucks have no luck in the draft lottery, even when they have better odds. The uh, management casualty list is starting to fill up. Pittsburgh fired President Brian Burke and his GM Ron Hextall this morning, and Anaheim fired head coach Dallas Eakins, even though he did the Ducks a big favor and lost the last 13 games in a row. And because of that, Anaheim now has the best chance to win Connor Bedard in the draft lottery. All right, Canada-Belgium, Billie Jean King Cup at the Pacific Coliseum. It begins with Leila Annie Fernandez against Belgium's Janina Wickmeyer. And Fernandez, great cross-court winner. Won the opening set, sixth love. Now, Canada's favored to win this. We're ranked sixth in the world in this event. Uh, Fernandez, here's a clean service return winner. She won this easy. Sixth love, 6-3. Six, it only took 66 minutes. So that's one nothing for Canada. Next match will be Vancouver's Rebecca Marino. And she had a three love lead on her opponent, but now it is 4-4 and things will continue tomorrow at the Pacific Coliseum in this matchup between Canada and Belgium as well. Now when it comes to tennis, it's always the single players, or make that the singles players, that get most of the glory. They're the ones who get all the TV time at major events. But playing in the shadows, perhaps unfairly, are the doubles players and the mixed doubles players, the ones who win their trophies with a teammate. And one of the best at team tennis is Canada's Gabriela Dabrowski, who is with Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup. Gabriella Dabrowski has been a double specialist for about a decade now. She played singles when she turned pro back in 2011, but that didn't last long for a very sensible reason. I uh, ran out of money, uh, didn't have any funding, and didn't want to burden my parents any more than I'd already have. But it was time for me to kind of forge my own path, and doubles allowed me to do that. My skill set was very well suited, I think, to doubles. I loved being at the net. I loved using my reflexes and being dynamic and explosive on the court. So. It was really just a natural fit, and then I was fortunate enough to partner with some amazing players and boost my ranking and kind of make my way up. And Dabrowski has become Canada's most successful female doubles player ever, becoming the first Canadian woman to win a Grand Slam. She's got two of them in mixed doubles, the 2017 French Open and the 2018 Australian Open. She's also won 13 WTA titles and won nearly $4 million in earnings. And she's showing no signs of slowing down 
At 31, she's at the top of her game. Just the older I've gotten, strategy has been so much fun for me. In doubles, there's a lot about positioning on the court, making the court feel very small for the opponents, making, you know, forcing them to hit the most difficult shot over and over and over. I do like winning matches when I feel like I've been playing smarter than my opponents and breaking them down mentally. Good anticipation from Dabrowski. Of course, choosing the right partner makes a big difference. Usually they find someone through locker room conversations or text, but you might be surprised how it sometimes works at the highest level of pro tennis. Oh, sometimes also at the tournament itself, there's like a looking sheet so you can put your name down and you know, tell people that you're looking and then you write your phone number and then if someone wants to play with you, they'll reach out. I would guess if your name was on the sheet, you'd, you'd get contacted pretty fast. It's happened in mixed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the quirkiness of doubles that is unique, but let's face it, the singles players get nearly all of the attention in tennis, which is understandable. But Dabrowski, who flies under the radar in her own country, feels doubles deserves a lot more love than it gets. Looking to try to improve that, actually, and get doubles on the map and really get people more excited about it. That's kind of one of the lasting impacts that I would want to have in this sport is really seeing people come and watch doubles and seeing broadcast put it on TV more, um, getting to know the stories of all the players. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps are done with the Champions League, which is probably a good thing. That can tax a team that doesn't have enough depth to play those games and league games, and the Whitecaps don't have that kind of depth. So tomorrow it's back to MLS action down in Austin. Now, the Whitecaps were blasted on the road by LAFC earlier this week, 3-0 in Champions League, and like that tournament, Winning on the road in Major League Soccer is not easy. In fact, the Whitecaps haven't done it this year. I feel like we don't really need to change too much. You know, I think it's been, it's been really positive over the last, I think we've five unbeaten now in MLS, right? So, um, yeah, we got beat by a very, very good LAFC side by, in my opinion, like I said, too many goals. But, um, you know, we also weren't played off the park for 180 minutes. Um, so we also can take some positives from that. There you go. All righty. Thank you. Uh, stick around, and okay. you stick around, too. I will. Squire's not done. Satellite debris is next. All right, the whole gang is back. Time for uh, Place of the Week. When I was a kid, I don't know how... Satellite debris. No, no, satellite, satellite debris. debris. But they're kind of like Plays of the Week. But they're Satellite <laughs> Debris Plays of the Week. Yes. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to see shows where somebody always seemed to fall into a well. I'm not sure how that happens, but there was always a friendly dog who was able to help them get out. In this case, mm. it's a friendly shopping cart. Huh. Who knows? 
sausages? Well, he has to eat. <laughs> Been stuck I, in the well all what? that time. I hope that commercial works for them. I mean, audi English <laughs> audiences are different, right? That's true. That's true. Here's one uh, for Direct <laughs> He's TV. He's got a good um, sense of humor. Direct TV and oh, who is it? Brian Cox, right? Right. Brian Cox. Let me be direct. You're doing TV wrong. You thought that other TV provider was good enough. Now what? You'll talk? Come on, son, you got it. You called us watching sports, do you? When the dragon came in, it was like... Whoa. Looks like they caught the finale. You can't even find the show. You deserve better. So much in life is a compromise. But with number one customer satisfaction, DirecTV never is. Now, get out of here. The game's on. But we live here. Fascinating. A rather toned down version yes, of exactly. uh, Logan Roy. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so we do this every year. We go up to Kimberly and we uh, check in on the dummy downhill. So let's do that again, shall right. we? And there it is, Kimberly Alpine Resort Village. And here are some of the dummies. Oh, we have a submarine this year. Oh, It's above wow. water, obviously, and I don't know what that is. And that's the produce guy. And here we go. <laughs> First up, I'm not even sure what this is, but whatever it is, it does get over the ramp. Oh. And, oh, don't look, it's a dead body. Don't look. Ow. Yeah. Uh, this is a baby in a crib, oh, I think. Oh, we should also, have had a warning for this. Well, they're, they're, they're okay. Yeah. They, they, they really bounce back, these things. Got the flower going here, also crashes out. The idea is you want to get height. Now, I think what this is actually the real oh. reason the dinosaurs went extinct. But this one is determined to finish. Oh, I love the oh, dinosaur. That's impressive. Yeah, he may have snapped a vertebrae there or something, but he got to the finish. Man in Ooh, desk gets over that. One. And this one from NASA loses its head way too soon. Ooh. And last yeah. but not least... This jet, and you would think Ooh, it would get good fire. height, and it did. Wow. That was the most oh. impressive that I saw of uh, this year's dummy downhill. Well, how, do you, how do you determine who won? There really is, you know what, there, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody gets, everybody gets a participation ribbon, I'm sure. Good enough, good enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, Christy, one last look at the forecast. Well, indoor activities this weekend, we certainly are expecting rainfall both days. There'll be some breaks in the rains here and there, but overall, uh, it is certainly looking wet. So um, I'd like to say enjoy, but I don't know. Try. Have if a good you're weekend, a duck, everyone. Be nice, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.